Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Glenn Hammock from Medicine at Work. Glenn, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me here. It's a privilege to be here. What we seek to do here on the show is, is really educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and and uh, and find ways to improve value for their employees. Because, you know, quite frankly, the traditional way of doing things really hasn't produced meaningful change in an industry where, where higher healthcare costs are, are simply the norm. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and Medicine at Work. So the Great. audience has some, some context about uh, who they're listening to, and uh, then we'll jump into it. Sounds, sounds great. No, sounds great. I appreciate it. That's terrific. So Dr. Hammock is the founding president of New Physician, developing it as a spin-out company from the University of Texas, where he served as assistant vice president of the University of Texas Medical Branch and founding executive director of their electronic health network, developing and managing their telemedicine programs. Before 2004, he served as a director of health informatics and telemedicine, leading implementation of a large-scale electronic medical record system and creation of a statewide system for primary care and specialty telemedicine. He received his OD optometry degree from the Michigan College of Optometry at Fair State University and his Master of Science in Health Informatics from the University of Alabama at Birmingham with a telemedicine internship at Massachusetts General Hospital. There we have it. Yeah, my mother's always proud of that, so I appreciate you reading it. <laughs> Soon as you paid for most of it. <clears throat> but no, thank you very much. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. The bio there gave a little bit of, of background um, about you, but um, let's start off by just giving our audience a little bit of information about you know how you specifically got into uh, healthcare and and um, more specifically launching medicine at work. Thanks. Uh, happy to do it. So yeah, I'm a little bit unusual. Um, I tend to say that I'm the world's worst testament to career planning, having careened from being a clinical practicing eye doctor into academic teaching, into academic leadership, uh, into uh, graduate informatics. Uh, computers and technology had followed me around my whole career from the early 80s. And then having the opportunity to do work at the University of Texas Medical Branch, creating a way of delivering healthcare by combining electronic medical records and video telemedicine in a capitated care environment, which was very unusual. And seeing that not many people say that their career goal is to be a prison healthcare administrator, it was an unusual step. And for all the ribbing that we took over the years of having a captive audience, ha ha ha, the reality <laughs> was the reality was it was a captive checkbook. It was one of the few places in the U.S where healthcare was truly run off of one checkbook with no cost shifting, no out-of-pockets, no, out of pockets, no out of networks. Uh, and uh, it was really amazing because for the first time, we could actually see a healthcare system that was tasked with a very complete um, set of services that it had to deliver. Everything from inpatient care, outpatient care, all the drugs, all the behavioral health, all the dental work, uh, dialysis, autopsies and burials. I mean, we're talking everything. And actually run it off of a single checkbook. That is pretty fascinating. I mean, you know, it's basically here's one budget and go figure out how to include everything in this. And, yeah, it was and, it was and, amazing. It was an amazing laboratory for healthcare economics as much as it was for healthcare technology. And we had some visionary leaders at the University of Texas Medical Branch, and they put us, uh, they brought together myself and some other folks to 
create a system that would basically improve the velocity to care with accurate records, mm-hmm. where people wouldn't be released to schedule the next visit at their own, um, you know, at their own timing. Uh, we had the ability to use telemedicine to get specialist consultations done quicker and more directly. And what we found is that it increased the velocity of care, and it actually did what we hoped it would do. It would save money. So the university's uh, budget for doing this was about $350 million to cover 150,000 lives at 150 locations spread all across Texas. Out of that, wow. they had to pay a payroll of about 5,000 actual employees that were the actual health care providers in the prisons. You had a primary care doctor, you had a dentist, you had a nurse, you had a lab, you had a film shooter. You know, it was like the world's most perfect rural healthcare model. And what we found is by implementing these technologies, we were able to actually improve the quality of care and reduce the capitated cost. So it was really an amazing uh, lesson. And it was really something that helped us refine what eventually became medicine at work. So we did this work for the university between 2000 and 2004. Mm-hmm. I, I was asked to take the technology and the methods and patent them, which we did. We got three patents on it. And then I was put in an incubator. I led an incubator inside the university from 2004 to 2007 called the Electronic Health Network, where we actually used the same models for things like behavioral health into underserved areas of Texas. Uh, We did the telemedicine to the South Pole. We did uh, cruise ship radiology and other methods. And then in the end, we started doing things that uh, warranted having a private company in, a, in partnership with the university, and that's how New Physician got started. We then started applying it in different areas. One of the areas that we applied it to was the idea of an on-site health clinic that would be affordable to populations and, and employers that otherwise normally can't even think about on-site health clinics. Mm-hmm. And that's what Medicine at Work essentially is. Medicine at Work is a, uses these technologies that we refined over decades at the University of Texas Medical Branch and now apply them in such a way that it brings all the values of an on-site health clinic, a full-size on-site health clinic, to employers as few as 200 employees, which is, we think, a pretty neat trick. <laughs> I think that is a neat trick. But um, before we get into you know, more about, about medicine at work and the on-site clinic um, mm-hmm. you know, solution for employers, one of the things I always ask my guests is, you know, about the healthcare system, um, you know, we, we really have a healthcare system that, you know, represents a large portion of GDP that seems to get bigger and bigger every single year. And that means that as payers, both as employers and, and employees, I mean, we have more coming out of our paychecks uh, every year for healthcare, and we're, we're not really getting a lot more. So in, in your experience, you've been, been doing this for a while. What do you think is wrong with our healthcare system, and why do you think costs continue to increase the way they do? Well, as both a, a participant and a consumer of healthcare, and someone playing at the edges with healthcare delivery systems, I think it has a lot to do with a lot of complicated elements. It has a little bit to do with our human nature as Americans, where we believe in the Hail Mary pass, we believe in the last ditch attempt. I think some of that bleeds over into the, the approaches that we take during the last years of, of healthcare. I think nobody wants death panels, but I think there's a tendency to, uh, you know, to have this issue of that a pound of cure is always better than an ounce of prevention. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sums it up as cleanly as I think anyone has. And that's one of the things that got us really excited about the approaches that we take. Because, and I think you're seeing it in a lot of uh, employers' minds and a lot of insurers' minds, everyone's trying to change the insured's health behaviors to be more on top of things, to be preventative, to be you know, promoting good health habits instead of doing the last hit save uh, when you've got to do things expensively and do a lot of corrective actions later in the process. 
So I think that's just one of the things that's definitely human nature, that we're going to defer things until they have to be done. But I think in a nutshell, that's what's driving a lot of this, is that we definitely have a, a culture in most of our healthcare habits that a, you know, a pound of cure is better than an ounce of prevention. That, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, wellness has been around for, for a while. Um, I, I would say, I'm not sure it's, it's taken, it still hasn't taken up. I think wellness is something that most employers like to do and just check the box that they have mm-hmm. a health risk assessment or they send out a newsletter, but, um, there are more efforts being put forth. And I think, you know, your company does fit into that. So, no, absolutely. Michael, you're right on the money. I mean, so there's, you know, the, the interest in getting folks to change their health habits and health behaviors is nothing new. Um, the problem is, is that the engagement and the participation of the beneficiaries has been something that you can only do so much with carrots and even the sticks aren't that effective. I mean, uh, going back to the days of free gym memberships or paid for gym memberships, mm-hmm. going back to the days of online health risk assessments where people could go online and put in a profile. Of course, that was modified by when GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, came into play and all of a sudden nobody could ask health history or family history questions anymore. And then you've got things like even the latest thing, the, the telephone telemedicine, which uh, is very popular and redefined the term telemedicine for all of us in the telemedicine industry. But they've not, not you know, very few of them have exceeded 5 to 7% of engagement of a population. They tend to be used at very, very low frequency and therefore have very little impact, which makes the investment in them very questionable. And that's one of the things that really drew us to looking at it a little bit differently. It's one thing to go in and label somebody. It's another thing to do something to help them. And that's one of the things that we tried to do with Medicine at Work was actually have a product that really was based on a couple of tenets, that convenience drives compliance, that making the, making the process as convenient as possible for people, having it right there at the workplace, having no out-of-pocket cost to access to the doctors, uh, to make it so that you've got a health buddy right there at the office that's going to answer your questions about medications and answer your questions about activity levels and the right exercise for you and the right diet for you. And have somebody there that's there with you instead of just, a, a, you know, it's one thing to have a coach that's always mad at you versus a friend that's going, going and working out with you. And that's the approach that we try to take with medicine at work is to be a health buddy for the employee as well as somebody who can actually do something on a prescriptive basis, being a physician. Absolutely. And that, uh, you know, that's a big part of it. Plus touch and tune. If you see somebody for runny nose and you're checking their blood pressure at the same time, it's that primary care approach. And that, that's a big part of prevention too and catching things early. So early intervention, uh, well-being promotion, as well as convenience care. That's the difference between these approaches that have been, you know, tried and continue to struggle with engagement versus the kind of numbers that our programs post and, and outside clinics post, which is, you know, if you're not getting 60 to 70 percent engagement by your population, it's just not a good program. And yeah. so that's why we like uh, that's why we like the approach that uh, we're looking at. We've already kind of you know talked a little bit about you know medicine at work, but you know, contextually, on-site clinics have been around for a long time, but really they've only been, they've been reserved for employers with large, larger populations because you needed a significant number of employees in order to, you know, make it, make the investment worthwhile. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a question in the marketplace about the value per se of on-site clinics, you know, and, and certainly it can be a labor relations win-win. Yeah. But, um, it's largely been reserved for the, lar- the larger marketplace. So, yep. so tell us about how medicine at work is 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 different, I guess, than other on-site clinics and and sure. specific problem that you're trying to solve in in this sort of niche marketplace. Sure, sure, happy to do it. No, you're exactly right. 
the traditional approach to onsite clinics is, you know, and people put, say different numbers, you need 5,000 lives, you need 3,000 lives. But the concept is pretty much a time-tested model that a vendor is brought in that presents a package of startup costs to build out a full-scale clinic to staff it fully with a physician and a bunch of ancillary staff. Uh, it's usually hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, to actually do a startup cost and build out process. And then you're pretty much paying staffing costs plus an administrative fee on top of that. And that's why that model has pretty much stayed the purview of the large employer, the 3,000 to 5,000 or more employer, the, the, someone who's got a campus, right? Multiple buildings, lots of people. Yep. So the technology that we developed over the years to access uh, care into the prisons is a form of video telemedicine that is completely different than the telephone telemedicine that's marketed today. And it's been around quite a while. It's got a lot of circuits on it. And so what it is, is it's think of it as corporate quality conference room video conferencing mm-hmm. with HD quality, coupled with the kind of examination scopes that are used in operating rooms so that the remote physicians are able to beam in, talk and interact directly with the patients and do examinations, look in their ears, look up their nose, look down their throat, look at skin, look at their eyes, plus an an electronic stethoscope system that allows the remote doctor to hear with perfect clarity the heart, the lungs, to do complete examinations. That's the difference. So what that allows us to do is, in a sense, only bring the doctor in when it's really necessary, and it's frequently done. Don't get the impression that the the, uh, the staffing there in the clinic, which we'll talk about in a second, is only accessing the doctor on a consultation basis. The doctors are actually there to be beamed in, for lack of a better phrase, whenever they're needed to do anything prescriptive. So it's fully prescribing. We send prescriptions to the patient's pharmacies. Got it. But that allows us to build a system that has no startup costs for the client, has no real build-out because we provide everything. And all they've got to do is dedicate a room, usually 15 by 15 foot, for us. We bring in our internet. We bring in all the equipment. We bring in the exam table. We bring in the telemedicine gear. We bring in the sharp safe. We bring in the glass jars full of tongue depressors. We bring in the butcher paper for the exam table. And we bring in a staffed paramedic, either three to five days a week, depending on the size of the population, that is there dedicated for the client. Usually there's a person who's a primary person with a backup person for when they go on vacation or they're ill, but it is a staffed service. So they get really everything they would get out of having the doctor there full time without the cost of having the doctor there full time. And that's the, the real advantage of using our technology. Got it. So really no, no startup costs, no implementation fees. You guys, you, you really just need a room. You come yep. in, you do the build out, and it's staffed by by a paramedic who, Correct. who will you know see see employees as they come in, and um, you know when necessary, you'll you know I, I like the term that you used uh, the Star Trek term uh, yeah, beam in the doctor yeah beam in the doctor, and so essentially the technology allows them to see the person as if as if they were right in front of them right. And so this is an approach that we like because it's compliant with the medical board rules in all 50 states. There's nobody doing anything out of state licensing or anything like that. All of our doctors are licensed in the states where they practice. And the medic that's on site, again, is is implanted, shall we say, to be a resource for the employee community. They're eating lunch where the employees eat lunch. 
They're playing a role in lunch and learns. They're playing a role in safety meetings. They are wellness and nutrition certified, so they're health coaches. They run wellness numbers. We have uh, clinical care testing for blood fats and cholesterol as well as blood sugar. So we're doing maintenance programs for people on blood pressure, on blood fats, on blood sugar. It is a very, very full-featured approach. It is really three things. It's convenience care, coughs, colds, flu, aches, pains. It's well-being support with biometrics. And then we even have a feature for some who clients who want it where we can do pre-employment physicals and drug testing on site for the ones that want that service as well. So it's uh, it's really gives them a lot of bang for their buck. And again, no startup costs, no long-term contracts. And it's a risk-sharing approach. You know, as folks are looking at the factors that are leading to these cost escalations, they want more skin uh, on the employee. They want more skin on their partners in the game. So we do this on a risk-sharing basis. So we do this as a PEPM approach with unlimited utilization on the clinics because we want the patients to be in the clinic. We want the employees in the clinic so that we can touch and tune. And that's the secret. That's what we like. Got it. It's interesting. You know, the, the, the more that I, you know, have worked in this industry, the more that I've just come to believe that the medical industrial complex, you know, mm-hmm. which, in, which includes everybody from, you know, professional service providers, uh, professional service, you know, which could be, you know, physicians, uh, diagnostic imaging labs, hospitals, drug manufacturers, PBMs. I mean, the whole system is designed to drive costs and utilization mm-hmm. of services higher. So if, if you think about that on a very you know, simple basis, one of the best ways to save money is to simply keep people out of the system in the first place. You're right. So <laughs> easier said than done. But sure. you, you know, what are, what are you guys doing to help employers you know, manage population health risk and, and keep people out of the system? Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, the, one of the great comments that I've heard is if uh, if you knew that your car insurance paid for a new motor when you blew it at some point, would you ever change your oil? You know, we've got a lot of that philosophy in healthcare. And plus, the other thing is that there's a lot in healthcare administration today that is always trying to find the thing that insurance pays for fastest and easiest until they change the rules. And so there's a zillion examples of that. And you mentioned a couple of them, imaging centers, uh, bariatric surgery centers, things like that. People would jump into it until until the the reimbursement rates changed. But it really is about uh, an ounce of prevention being better than a pound of cure. It's about touch and tune, and it's about convenience driving compliance. Um, There's a lot of interest today in folks who are seeking direct primary care contracts, seeking direct uh, uh, specialty services contracts, and we are a form of that by being a PMPM product, so it's per member per month, all-inclusive, no claims to the plan, Mm -hmm. and it's all about we are a preferred modality for their employees. They're not required to come to us, but we don't charge a copay. We're just a walk-in service or scheduled care service, and it's a very effective service with very, very high employee satisfaction scores. Our our employee satisfaction survey scores are off the scale, 100%, 99% all the time, and it's all about the fact that you're exactly right. The more you keep them out of community networks, the more you're going to save. And that's changing all the time because every time they'll walk into an urgent care, Texas, where I'm from here, Texas is a great example. Urgent care centers are allowed by law to charge the same as full ERs. So a patient thinks they're gaining some traction and saving some cost by going to an urgent care just to get presented with a big bill at the end. And it's one of the big, big challenges that our healthcare engine in the U.S. has become a consumptive agent. It's become something that is churning cost for its own good, which, you know, it's got to survive, it thinks. But it does really handicap the employer who's trying to manage costs and keep a business. There's nothing going up faster in any employer's budget 
than their healthcare costs. And what we try to do is, is share that risk with them through a PMPM basis. We want to, to challenge them to overutilize our clinics because every time we see a patient, we see an employee in the clinic, we are saving them claims costs from the community plan. And that's a big part of it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to focus in a little bit more on, on just the risk management aspect of this. So when people are coming in, you know, let's just say for the first time, mm-hmm. you don't know you don't know anything about these folks and it could be they're just coming in for a cold right mm-hmm. but you know as as people are coming in are you um or, or or any of the employers that you're working are they setting it up in a way where you know you're you're doing blood panels where you're you're collecting information on you know risk factors within the population yeah. no it's a great question so we have uh, actually some of our clients are brought to us by an insurance company who actually shares with us gaps in care information about each client before they're seen for the first time, mm-hmm. which is hugely helpful, number one. We have other clients that, as part of starting up with the, the clinic and gaining access to the clinic for no copay, the employees must go through a health risk assessment that includes a complete review by a physician, as well as biometric panel, blood work, uh, height, weight, blood pressure, uh, blood sugar screenings, all that kind of stuff. That's another approach that we kind of get a, a head start on defensive management of the population, shall we say. And then every time, it's amazing how quickly when you have a high engagement product like ours that gets 60, 70% of the population through the clinic in the first year, in that first year with every visit, because we run like a doctor's office where the patient comes in, the workup that's done by the medic is just like when you go into your primary care doctor's office and that nurse sits you down and reviews everything with you, gets all your medications, does your height, your weight, your blood pressure, ask you what you're coming in for today, but then also does a complete review of systems with you. That's the way we do this, and that's what the physician visit is all about. So it does not take long for us to get a very complete profile of the population during that first year of operations. In fact, we have an electronic medical record that is longitudinal, that's visible to all the doctors, and so the information that we gather with each visit is is cumulative and available to each uh, provider at each visit. And in there, there's a process that we call health abstraction, where we put markers on patients for things that we learn about them with previous visits. So it's very easy to reference and very easy to understand. So the providers pick up right where the previous provider left off. and We get good continuity of care, do everything we can to do everything for that patient in our services. So that electronic medical record that you keep, when you refer somebody out you have the ability to send that information to back to their primary care physician or, or to a specialist that they're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. On top of that, as part of our services at no additional charge, each patient can download a free app called NewChart, mm-hmm. which allows them to carry in their pocket a summary of all of their information or email that summary to themselves to share with their doctor. So they can walk into the doctor's office and pull up things on their smartphone, their blood pressure history, their prescription history, their visit history, show them right there in the office. Or if they choose, they can email a summary to themselves that they then, under HIPAA compliance stat methods, they can forward it to their doctor. Got it. So I would imagine that, you know, for, for an employer to, to generate a return on the investment, there just, there needs to be, it's a simple formula. There needs to be sufficient utilization of the clinic. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned some pretty high engagement rates of north of, of 60%. So how are you... Um, collaborating with an employer to, you know, market this to employees and, um, and drive utilization. So like, like most folks that are in this business, it's all about effective communication with the HR department and of course getting their permission and buy off on communication tools. So we do everything from direct email to the, to the population. We do uh, posters, we do, uh, we do 
pre-startup visits and seminars to the employees through management meetings and to the leadership of the employee. Uh, we package a lot of content that can be run on company intranet sites. We do a lot of work. We, do, we basically do as all the lifting as we can for the employer. We get their buy-off on the communication, but then we make it easy for them. If they want PowerPoints for internal PowerPoint, uh, you know, shows that are running on computer uh, uh, presentations on flat screens around the company, we can do that. As I say, we do internet links. Uh, we, we really do, we, we even go down as far as to do even old school things like have business cards for the clinics that are available and sent out to all the population and even do a smartphone contact that is downloadable off the HR website so that they get the phone number, they get the email address of the clinic right there and they can carry it as a contact in their smartphone. So we're pretty proud of the work that we do to drive that. And the goal is to take the work uh, off the client, and uh, we review the utilization growth monthly with the client so that they can see whether we're succeeding and where we're falling short, which usually doesn't happen. Got it. Got it. So I'm sure you know through that participation, you know you can get uh, you know start to see some some financial savings. But you know, tell me, are there any other soft dollar benefits an employer might see from you know using your service? Yeah, so there's a estimator that we are able to do for our clients and uh, and and for brokers that we're working with too. They really break down using two forms of analysis. One is exit interviews from our own clinics. So with every visit at the end of the clinic a visit, the medic turns to the patient and says, "If we weren't here today, where would you have gone?" And so we say, they say they would have gone to the doctor, they would have gone to an emergency room, they would have gone to an urgent care, they would have done nothing. And we, we continually monitor that on a monthly basis, and we feed that back into our ROI estimations. In addition, uh, we look at CDC numbers. The CDC runs annually, you know, the utilization rates of how many times a typical American goes to their primary care doctor, to an emergency room, whatever. And we use both of those models. And we do a direct cost prevention model, which says, what are you going to, what we do a claims capture model. We first look at what are you going to prevent in terms of claims cost to the plan by having the clinic? And that, frankly, usually covers uh, the operating cost of the clinic, usually within a month. So that's a positive. But then, as you say, there's soft benefits as well. A typical visit to one of our clinics, because it's on site, because there's no copay, because it's a walk-in environment, you're talking 30 minutes or less in and out with a prescription. The, the, uh, the doctors are, we have a technology that has the doctors available within two to three minutes of when the patient is ready to see them. We're, we perform very tightly on those standards. And so it's a very effective and efficient mechanism. All of our clinics basically don't even have waiting rooms. That's how effective they are. They basically bring the patients in, we work on it, we do all everything that's appropriate. The patients feel that the doctor spends plenty of time with them, but they're back at their desk within 30 minutes, which is a big, big difference to having that employee away from the desk for half a day or so to get into their primary care doctor. So that's one thing, which is PTO utilization. Most of our clients do not even dock the, dock the employee for going to the clinic. That's how effective we are. The second thing is you've got both absenteeism and presenteeism when folks are sick or they're working well. When they, they're, they're sick enough to stay home, but they're not sick enough to go to the doctor. Uh, or they're sick enough to stay at work and not go to the doctor, which just makes it even worse. So you've got, uh, we've got a lot of estimates and kind of soft dollar savings there. That's usually a two-to-one uh, recoupment right there on the cost of the clinics. And then there's the long-term effects. So the third piece of this is the long-term effects. So we're comfortable that by doing what we do, we can at least save the plan across the population one to two script meds on the population every year, which means that because we're doing a better job of intervening early and promoting wellness and well-being, 
that that population will end up with two fewer script meds per year out of the population, which is a lot of dollars when you look at what the script meds cost to the PBM and other pharmacy benefits numbers. And then we also believe that we, in a, in a typical year, we save one half of a hospital stay. And that's what our numbers have shown. So you've got really varying levels of how deeply people like to embrace those soft dollars, but they're definitely there. You've got a hard dollar savings that recoups the actual cost, then you have the soft dollar savings. And then as you say, uh, we're, we're very sticky. Uh, we have very, very high employee satisfaction scores. Uh, our very first client that we had in 2009 is still a client today. That's how effective we are. And we're really, really pleased about that because it is a, something that the employees really appreciate as a benefit, especially now as the labor markets are tightening up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, you just mentioned something a second ago that, that brought something to mind. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, an employer may, may offer, you know, a lot of different programs, you know, for for people, you know, it could be um, disease management programs for folks with diabetes, you know, it could be some, um, some other sort of, um, you know, wellness programs. And so, you know, but a lot of times people don't know that these plans exist, right? Because people mm-hmm. only, people only get engaged in their healthcare when there's a need. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, programs that could be beneficial for, for employees go unused. And so because you're having an interaction with the employee, do employers ever leverage you as a resource to um, educate employees on maybe other programs that they have available that employees can take advantage of? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're there, we're frequently the first uh, step. And one of the things that happens, uh, the introduction and the, the selection of the medic for a client is not arbitrary. We usually interview a number of folks for a client we present them to the client to make sure we've got a good cultural and then, you know, just a good fit between the uh, directions that the HR departments take and then the, the characteristics of that medic. Because that medic is going to be both the face of the clinic and it is part of the expectation that we have for those medics that they learn the complete plan benefit package of the client. So they learn about EAP. They learn about the you know, preferred referral sources for escalation. They learn about preferred pharmacies. So that while they are working with the patient because we're there and we're free and we have high engagement, they can, in a very informed way, promote and improve compliance with the employee staying within the other elements of the plan design and being aware of the other elements of the plan. And that's something that we think is of strength of what we do. Got it. Got it. No, I think that I think that makes sense, and it, it's a it's a logical opportunity. You know, you mentioned earlier in the call that physicians are enabled to to issue scripts to employees, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal from a convenience standpoint. You know, are they just you know issuing the script you know to the employee right there, or you know are they actually you know calling the uh, the script into the employee's preferred pharmacy? Oh, no, we're definitely doing e-prescribing. There's definitely, depends on part of the country you're in, some pharmacies accept direct e-prescribing from a practice like ours, some don't. Either through fax or phone call, we're going to get that script to the patient's pharmacy of choice. So we always, you know, we're in an environment now where educating the patient and giving them the tools to manage their cases successfully comes down to some little things. And giving a paper prescription to each patient each time is actually proving to improve their compliance with the, the drug use, and their understanding of why they need to take it. So we do both, frankly. We always issue a paper script, and we always do an electronic form of uh, transfer so that they can pick it up on their way home or other, have a family member pick it up that day. So from, a, from an employee standpoint, you know, I think um, 
the convenience factor is, is huge for something like this. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, employees have dependents as well. And so, um, you know, can these clinics be made available to dependents? Yeah, about a third of our clients right now, we do dependent services for them uh, age six and over. Uh, it has a lot to do with where the employer chooses to locate the clinic. It usually has to be placed strategically in a place that doesn't require badge or card access behind secure doors, et cetera. But most employers that do it uh, with us find a place for the clinic that's in a training center, uh, that's off of a lobby. Uh, we've had a lot of creative approaches to this. But uh, dependent care is actually a, a great part of this. It does tend to be specific and uh, to you know, whether or not you're dealing with uh, a, a geographic concentration of the dependents around the workplace. So, you know, it does not tend to be utilized heavily where you've got a big commuting culture with the employers and the dependents. Uh, but where we've got, frankly, smaller towns where everyone lives around the town, they work very well. Got it. Got it. So um, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, costs from the standpoint of your fee structure, that it's mm-hmm. a, a per member per month. So what what is the cost range, you know, for an employer to sign up with Medicine at Work? You know, I don't think we've talked about any any employer size limitations, but, you know, are there? Yeah. No, so this is, this is great. So, so a general guideline would be, if somebody had 300 or so employee or lives, 300, then they would get a three-day-a-week clinic for $25 PMPM or less. Got it. If they had 750 lives, you'd be getting a five-day-a-week clinic for $20 PMPM or less. When we get above uh, 1,000 lives, 1,500, 1,200 lives, you're looking at $15 PMPM or less. Uh, and again, that's all in. So there's no surprises. But the only other thing that are ancillary charges would be uh, if we're doing flu shots or other forms of vaccinations, we procure those for the client at cost and pass that to them. Mm-hmm. And then if we're doing pre-employment physicals, which obviously are beyond the scope of the population, we charge a $25 nominal fee to do those physicals for them. But it's no, it's, there's no surprises. Uh, that's one of the things that folks like about, especially in this environment, they feel like they're able to get their hands on some piece of their healthcare cost and know they're not going to be surprised because we will do three-year contracts with no escalation. We really love getting in and doing good work for our clients. And uh, that's uh, also why we offer a, uh, a 60-day out policy that if for some reason there's uh, not a good fit or there's a change in the weather or whatever, they can cancel us uh, on a 60-day notice. But we haven't had anybody do that. But that's, we do that because we're certain of the value that we bring and we, like, we know that folks are a little bit shy. We know that uh, bringing this kind of an on-site clinic with the, that has a reputation of having heavy investment, we wanted to make it easy for folks to make the toe-in-the-water decision. So no build-out costs, no startup costs, an easy out option if things change. We try to make it as straightforward as possible so the folks can really enjoy this benefit and bring some control to their healthcare cost escalations. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is, is reporting. You know, for, for people that are on the lower um, end of the, of the employee count, you know, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, 100, 200, 300 employees, they're generally not getting good reporting from the insurance marketplace. You're right. And, and so, you know, for, for medicine at work, you know, it's, you know, it's, an, it's an additional item to spend money on, um, you know, with the hopes of, of uh, providing quality care, but also reducing, you know, overall cost of care. What type of reporting are you providing to employers to, you know, help them understand what's happening in the clinics? 
Well, one of the things that's happened is we've uh, we've actually uh, refined over uh, when we first started in the business in 2009. We were giving too much information to the clients. They're like, "Whoa, wait a minute, this is too much." We, you know, they have they have visibility and transparency with appropriate privacy protections, of course. Mm-hmm. With, you know, with a tremendous amount of detail. Over time, we've refined that into a report that's available to the monthly of standard key performance indicators how many patients were seen, what the utilization is, what the engagement rates are, uh, what kind of cases are being seen, what kind of drugs are being prescribed, good things that allow them to feel good that the clinic is meeting its operating goals. That's a standard package that's available monthly, but then also there's, uh, we, we've always offered the ability for ad hoc so that the client can say, I need to know how many people from this zip code are using the clinic. I need to know how many people from this department are using the clinic. We're able to do that because the electronic medical record documents every piece of care that we render, and we're able to turn that around immediately because it's a live and real-time exchange. So we're actually very proud of the reporting. And so there's a standard set of packaged reports that are very effective in revealing the key performance indicators of the clinic to the client. There's some ad hoc capabilities that can be tailored as needed, and it's it's a very smooth online process. And then if somebody does want to do more population, you know, health risk management, and let's just say they are, you know, doing the the full risk assessment to mm-hmm. qual- qualify to use the clinic, are you able to report out on information that you collect on the population? Yes, um, absolutely. Everything from blood pressure trends to uh, uh, point of care testing results on cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides, uh, blood sugar levels. Uh, if they want us to track other labs as part of uh, as part of a wellness profile, we have some folks who want thyroid testing uh, after a certain age. We have folks who want prostate level testing after a certain age. All that's uh, very much part of it. That's one of the beauties of having the medic there. They uh, the client is getting a healthcare resource that they otherwise probably wouldn't be able to afford and wouldn't think of doing because of a lot of the issues. But with us being able to bring this in, have it be a dedicated resource for them, we can help the client manage a lot of information about their population and help them do a better job negotiating what they want to do when renewal time comes along. Makes sense. So, so Glenn, who, who is this a good fit for and, and who might this not be a good fit for? Where it's not a good fit, I'll answer that one because it's easier. If someone has 150 or 300 lives and they're fragmented in pockets of 10 or 15 employees across the state or in multiple states, it's tough to fit us in. We need, we need a good 200 lives in one location to be able to put a clinic facility in and serve those folks well. So that's, that's the best thing. Uh, folks who are self-insured, uh, folks who are looking at direct primary care options, folks who are looking at this new model of benefits design where it's kind of more build from a kit where you're going to self-insure, you're going to choose a, a, a claims administrator, a TPA, you're going to choose a stop-loss carrier. Uh, we're a great fit for that because those folks have a lot of transparency and they can see immediately where the claims going through their plan through the, the TPA go down immediately because the clinic is running. When folks are on fully insured plans, they get us, you know, once a year, they get a summary report that's pretty obfuscated. It's really hard to document the, the true dollar values in those environments. But we, we, we tend to, we actually have a number of clients that are fully insured because we were put in so they could maintain status of best of breed employer and have high benefit satisfaction scores because they're having trouble. Uh, that's another thing that, frankly, folks use us for in a lot of situations is that if they're moving to plan designs, whether they're ADHP plans, HSA plans, uh, whether they're making changes to the participation level of the employees versus the company's contributions to healthcare costs, they're handing the package uh, to the employee that's a little bit un- unpalatable. 
by putting us in at our, we think, reasonable PMPM costs, you're able to bring a lot of goodwill to the employee-employer relationship as part of the benefits design. And we've actually gotten a number of clients because of that in the past year. So it's a, we're, we're, a good, uh, we're, we're a good sauce uh, to add to the mix of the meal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And plus, we're very effective because we're actually in there doing something to improve long-term costs and control long-term costs instead of just being another way of shifting costs around. That's the other thing that we think is important about what we do. We believe that what we do actually moves the bends the line downward and just doesn't shift the dollars somewhere else because I think we're learning that that has limited effect in the long run. I heard a look at a couple different ways you can um, bucket strategies. I mean, there's reactive strategies and there's proactive strategies. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you you guys are going to go in the more proactive, you know, strategy um, to, you know, keep people out of the system and, you know, manage risk on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, for, for larger employers, that's not necessarily a new concept, but for, for the middle market, you know, for, for employers that have a couple hundred employees, you know, there's, you haven't really been able to, to do effective risk management. I mean, the whole notion of a health risk assessment is a joke, you know, yeah. you know let, let's, let's have people fill out, you know, this online questionnaire and, you know, give them the results and that's magically going to drive behavior change. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can, <laughs> can talk about our own company that that does that and i've never been motivated by any health risk assessment you know results to do any changes i mean so. even after even after started sending you those wonderful weekly apple a day emails saying if you eat better <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, <laughs> no i don't i just don't i don't believe in it glenn you guys launched you know i think it was 2009 so right you know how many employers um have implemented your your service and and are there any industries or sectors that you're really having a lot of success? Well, we've got we're running 13 sites now across a number of clients. We're running programs in Texas, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, and uh, most of these have been long-term clients. We have uh, been a good fit for everybody from construction companies and heavy equipment repair companies all the way to the administrative centers of large international corporations uh, were, were, were kind of an interesting fit that way. Um, I think it has a lot to do with um, we are a little, we're coming in as a little bit of a breath of fresh air for a lot of employers who are in that zone of, you know, 200 to a thousand employees at a location. Um, and they traditionally have had to live with whatever the brokerage and commissioning firms, consulting firms can hand them. Well, Mr. Klein, if you're not happy with the 22% increase that Blue Cross is handing you this year, look at this beautiful plan Aetna can do. You know, it's the idea that they're, they're, they have limited choices. So, so, so we are really excited about what we can bring to that space to give them a new tool so that they've got some better options that they can, they can look at, you know, if they're not already moving to self-insurance, get that done. If they're giving them the ability to uh, have better visibility on where their money is spent, uh, we think that's an exciting part of it. But that's that's where we see the fit. Self-insured folks, uh, we've had a tremendous response uh, from uh, kind of a uh, blue-collar community that ha- needs the occupational med, the drug screening, the um, the pre-employment physicals, as well as the the wellness, the well-being, and the convenience care. Mm-hmm. And then we've had uh, we've had a lot of success with the larger administrative centers that are in a marketplace where they're you know struggling to maintain a position of preferred employee in the space, preferred employer in the space and uh, attract and retain good employees. I'd say those are the, those are the two success stories we've had so far. Great. Great. Um, are there any uh, obstacles 
you know, that, uh, that you've encountered to an employer saying yes to implementing your services? You know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, our biggest competitor is the status quo. We've, we've pretty much come down to that. Most folks who look at us closely and don't pull the trigger, it became an issue not so much of dollars, but of, well, we don't know if we want to change anything yet. Uh, we also find that uh, the more changes that the HR department at the client is going through, they're putting in a new system, they're doing this, they've got change in leadership, whatever, that tends to slow us down too. But I think the obstacles, the obstacles used to be a fear of telemedicine. That's pretty much gone mm-hmm. because, because everyone's getting much more comfortable with technology tools in healthcare delivery. There, there used to be a fear of the medical legal side of it. There used to be a fear of having anything medical happening on the footprint of the employer, you know, in a lease space arrangement. But because the way that we come in and we fully indemnify the client right down to the use of space, uh, that, has, that has kind of taken care of that concern as well. So the fact that, that we don't run on their IT program, we bring in our own connectivity, that's a big plus. The fact that all they need to do is give us a room, they don't need to do any build out. And the fact that we stand fully in front of them for all med mal, medical malpractice, and other forms of uh, liability, uh, we fully indemnify the client. Those are the three things that have tended to help us along. Great. What are you most excited about right now in your business? Are there any improvements or enhancements that, uh, that you're working on in the business? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're really excited about is more and more folks getting better gaps in care information on their population. Um, as you're seeing some of this uh, you know, happening, it used to be that on a lot of uh, uh, fully insured plans, folks got this report once a year at renewal time that had some very hard to understand information about what this healthcare status and progress of the healthcare status of the population was. These new programs that look at um, their, their products from various vendors, Optum and others that are being used by not only the insurance companies, but in some cases being used by the uh, brokers and the consultants that are helping companies to actually look at the cost and utilization profiles of their employees by looking at the, the pharmacy data, by looking at the doctor's office visit data, looking at hospitalization data. And granted, it's skewed a little bit because it's all off of claims, but the ability for us to now get that as what's called the gaps in care information, where when a patient is walking in uh, to be seen for a cough or a cold, our medic can go online on a system with the appropriate security protocols and see the, the, the previous health history and concerns for this patient and see where the gaps in care are so that we can remind them and we can steer them back into the, you know, the path of compliance. That's what we're excited about. The ability to have our clinics be involved and be a frontline participant in uh, really the information flow uh, and the immediacy of the information flow in this world of gaps of care analysis is really exciting to us. Well, and I think that's a that's a natural flow. I mean, once you once you start um, you know managing actively managing population health risk, um, you know, on the front end, you know, being able to you know, leverage other sources of data to, to make sure that, you know, your folks on the front end are better equipped uh, yes. to do their job. That, I think that's a natural, uh, natural evolution. Yeah. And we're really excited. We just implemented protocols where that's a standard step for the clients that, that you know, have that tool available. And it's something that's so hard to appreciate how fresh that is because it used to be this data didn't become available to anybody for months and months or almost the following year after a plan has been running for uh, you know, a, a group of beneficiaries. The idea that you're getting this information live in real time is a huge, huge positive step. And again, that velocity to appropriate care, which is really a great 
I think, term you're going to be hearing more about. Uh, uh, you know, getting folks the right care at the right time, at the right level, in the right place is really going to be a big secret to getting us out of this uh, pound of cure is better than an ounce of prevention lifestyle that we're living in healthcare right now. I love it. Well, Glenn, we're, we're coming to the end of our of our allotted time here. Um, Great. If there was if there was one question that I should have asked you but I didn't, what would it be? What my favorite color is? No, you've covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, I think um, I think there's two things that uh, we tend to get a lot of questions on as we as we get more uh, exposure. The first one is, do patients really like it? There's a there's a there's a certain element of um, folks out there that are just kind of in disbelief that having somebody talk to you on the, on the video link and work with you, you know, there's a, there's this natural really. Uh, and uh, we've studied it carefully and others have studied it carefully, not just us. And uh, I think that's one thing that we, uh, we, we do expect from everyone as we talk to them about our services. The other one is um, do the doctors enjoy doing it? Uh, and do the doctors, you know, what, how do you keep them so engaged to, to reply in such a timely basis? And it has a lot to do with how we select them. A lot of folks uh, believe that our, just by looking at our technology and how we do things, that all our doctors are young guys and gals fresh out of school. They know the technology and can fix it when it breaks and things like that. And that's not the case. Um, most of our doctors are kind of like me, a little thick in the middle, a little thin on top, got tired of buying comfortable shoes to run around the medical center, but they're skilled <laughs> clinicians. <laughs> and they love doing this. They love the uh, they love the flexibility that it affords them. And so that's the things that we're proud of. All of our doctors are board certified emergency or family practice physicians, and uh, all of our patients are you know rave about us on our uh, on our evaluation forms. And so those are the two things that I think are uh, people have to get comfortable with initially in some situations. Is do patients really like us? Yes. Do they really like the care modality? Yes. And they think it's great, and the doctors uh, are very friendly, and they really enjoy doing it. You know, that just you know, thanks for bringing that up because it just brought up another question that came mm-hmm. to mind. You know, in a in our traditional environment, you know, you you really you get into a doctor's office and you feel like a like a cow in a in a herd of cattle, right? You're just yep. being you're being you know shuffled through, and maybe you get twelve minutes with the doctor. Um, what is the you know, is there like an allowed time frame that the physician can spend with the employee or are they allowed to, to spend as long as they need to with the employee? No, they're allowed to spend as long as they need to. Uh, you know, our systems are set up. We have put, invested a lot in programs that have backup doctors that if a doctor is engaged appropriately with a patient for a longer period of time for patient education or examination processes and other patients appear in the waiting list, shall we say, for other locations that backup doctors get paged. So there's, you know, that's one of the things that's our ability to leverage the technology and make it work for high levels of uh, patient service and patient satisfaction. But no, there's no limitation that the doctor can spend, uh, you know, only a certain amount of time. And the other thing is um, the way that the care is rendered leaves the electronic medical record interaction out of the picture during the video, uh, the video interaction. So I think we've all also had the really interesting experience lately of going into our doctor's office and the doctor having an absolute minimum of eye contact with us during the entire encounter because they're looking at a laptop screen and clicking and typing. And it always feels a little funny. And we're very proud of the fact that all of our systems are designed to prevent that from happening because we've been paying attention to the doctor-patient interaction and eye contact for a long time. And we feel we've got a solution that actually is something that's better than what folks are kind of degrading to in face-to-face care now, where everyone's burying their nose in the laptop to get the records done. 
because they know that's how they're going to get paid. And so that's one of the things that's a big plus too. The other thing is, is that uh, being a member per month risk sharing arrangement, the doctors have no motivation to kick off to do another patient. Our doctors are paid uh, on a flat rate, hourly basis. And so then that way they run like a salaried physician, which is going to take the time that's needed to address your problem, answer your questions. And then another thing that we've learned is having the medic there, unlike uh, a typical doctor's office visit where you come in, you get worked up by the nurse, the doctor comes in and visits, the doctor does his thing, does a summary, and then you get dressed and you leave. The fact that the medic stays there, we've had a tremendous follow-up process emerge where the medic is able to reaffirm and re-explain things once the doctor hangs up off the video call. Because the medic was there during the entire encounter, the medic was following along. It's almost as if you have the nurse with the doctor, and then you got the opportunity to ask questions of the nurse before you leave. And mm-hmm. think about how different that is from from healthcare today. So those are some things that are keeping us effective, and that we think are some strengths to the way we do things. It feels like a more you know personalized. Well, it just it feels like a more customer service friendly experience. Yeah. How many of us? How many of us? You know, very few of us know the first name of the nurse that works us up when we go into our doctor's office, right? Maybe if you've been a patient for years and years and years, you know Donna, who's the who's Dr. So-and-so's workup nurse. We get that experience to the patient much quicker because that medic is there every day, interacting with them, eating lunch where they eat lunch, being in their safety briefings, being in their lunch and learn meetings. Uh, they become a fixture, and that's what we want. Hey, Glenn, this has been a great uh, great dialogue. And Enjoyed every minute of it, Michael. For sure. So so how can people, you know, other than working through their respective broker consultants, you know, how can people interested in your product and service get in touch with you? Well, we've got a great website, www.medicineatwork.net, all one word, all together. And there's an info link there, info at medicineatwork.net. And we're happy to answer anybody's questions uh, from either direct employer community or from the broker consultant community. Very good. Well, hey, Glenn, on behalf of our listeners and myself, uh, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. It's been a great dialogue, and I think it'll uh, you know provide some value to our listeners. It's been a privilege. Uh, every success on the podcast. Thanks so much, Glenn. And to our listeners, hey, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we will sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can subscribe for updates and access the show notes for this episode and links to Medicine at Work's website and contact information. Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our website, including our Health Plan Innovator Scorecard where you can see just how innovative your health plan is. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.